0: How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 35.
1: That's uh, a that's round number.
0: That is. Uh, it's an interim of five, Jake. Mm, and you know what we do on the show? Every five episodes? Mm-hmm. Well, we might be talking about that later in the show, but it is, of course, our regular segment, the Director's Corner.
1: Yes, sorry, Bob. That's but exciting. How are you, Jake? I'm very tired, Zeke. I don't yes. know if you know this. But I was on set today for like eleven
0: hours. Oh, I didn't see you on set today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't notice you at all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just, uh, it has been a very long day, yeah. and uh, we it's are been a at, very
1: long two days.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we can uh, talk about it more a bit later on in yeah, the show. Yeah, get Into it. But yes, please bear with us, audience. We are a little bit tired because we've been busy. Doing doing the filmmaking thing.
1: Yeah, keeping our stamina up, but we're going to be on time as usual because we love you, the audience.
0: Oh, that's enough pandering, though, Jake. What (laughs) what films have you watched this week?
1: Um, not a lot, unfortunately. I watched, and this was actually this was actually quite interesting because I mentioned it last week talking about Dave Chappelle. Imagine how I still prefer Bill Burr as a comedian overall, without mm. knowing that he also had a Netflix special releasing like a day later.
0: Yeah, it was pretty great. We have some weird timing on this show.
1: I know. And there's actually more to even come up later in this episode when it comes to weird timings. Mm. So we'll get into that. But no, I so I watched the new Bill Burr, what is it called? Uh, Paper, Paper Tiger. Paper Tiger, that's right. And I, we both love Bill Burr to mm. death. Um, I think this is his best work
0: that's crazy I
1: adore the show and like I think most people are in agree all that uh, his last show maybe even his last two shows kind of dipped a bit I guess
0: I I mean but... I, I still found walk your way out which was the one that mm. came before this I still enjoyed uh, segments of that show there were yep. definitely um, there were segments where it dipped and it, it's tricky for a stand-up comedian because I think Jim Jefferies had a very similar thing with him I think. His last show that he did, which is, I think it's This Is Me Now, was really good compared to, I think, the last two before that. Yeah. Because um, he peaked on his first Netflix uh, uh, special, the one that kind of put him on the map. And with Bill Burr, I think all of them I've enjoyed, like, he his highs are really high for oh, me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think off the top of my head, the one I enjoy the most is probably You People All the Same, or... Uh, like, I think that's the one I really enjoy. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but this, like, I've only managed to catch the first 10 minutes of this Paper Tiger one. Right, Because yeah. I, I really want to be in the mood, like, just be able to sit down just with just a beer and yeah. just enjoy uh, the show. And that's a shame, because, like, because I just haven't found it in the last week.
1: Yeah, well, I think I think we could sit down, because I'm totally willing to give it another mm-hmm. watch. Some of the stuff in the middle, and, like, without spoiling it, there's some stuff that I think my favourite bit that he does is the section where he and his, him and his wife are sitting now watching this um, Elvis Presley doco. And without getting into what the actual like, jokes are, it's just it's hilarious. Yeah. And I remember I was lying to... I, I turned my computer off. It was like, oh, crap, I forgot to watch the special before I went to bed. So I just laid in my bed, and I tried to organise watching it on the Netflix app on my phone mm-hmm. while texting a couple of people, and it just wasn't working. So I was like, I got my laptop out, and for those of you who know me, you know that I hate using my laptop. It's slow, it's painful, it's <laughs> dreadful, it sucks. So it's maybe on 2% of my of usage range, I suppose, using my laptop. But I was like, nope, I'm, I'm sitting in bed and I'm going to watch this special on this laptop. And it was it was so funny. Yeah. I was like, one in the morning, I'm cracking up. I'm like, this is hilarious. So that was a nice little surprise. Yeah, that, yeah. That just what counter
0: your stand-up comedy? Mm. I will raise you with another stand-up oh, comedy you raise special. Me, um, I managed to catch for the first time Donald Glover's Weirdo.
1: Okay, um, that's interesting. I've never seen any of like his stuff
0: what, really. What an overachiever Donald Glover is. He's a <laughs> he's a rapper. He's a successful filmmaker. He's an actor, and now apparently he's a stand-up comedian too. So <laughs> it's like, dude. We get it. You're talented. Yeah, Share yeah, some yeah. of the love. No, um, <laughs> honestly, it, it was a, a special that he did back in, like, 2013 that got put up on Netflix, like, a year ago. And okay, it been so many... this was going a while back. Yeah, it's a few years old. But it's really around, actually, the time when Community was hitting its peak mm. um, that he did this stand-up comedy. So We're, getting,
1: had... like a, we're getting, like, a weekly Community shout-out on this show. <laughs> I know, I'm just going to keep throwing it. Well, I, I,
0: I bought season two and three from the op Shop oh, for like ten bucks <laughs> and I've been watching that and enjoying that. Um, Fair call. Fair bump. Uh, but <laughs> it was, it's one of those shows where it's like, so the thing with the Bill Burr one is I want to be able to sit down and, and watch that. Either someone who appreciates Bill Burr, like yep. yourself, yep. or by myself so I can just enjoy the show and not have to, anyone talk like, talk to me in the show. I don't know about you, but we're, like, stand-up comedy specials. it's Do you talk to the person next to you while you're watching it? Or do you just listen uh, to the comedian? It's tough, because it's kind of like that when you're watching movies anyway, I feel like. Yeah. Like, I remember
1: I remember when we were watching American Animals, which was, what, like, our third episode? It was yeah. you, me, and James Norton. We sat down and watched it together. And it was that weird thing of, like, it's the three of us in a dark room. We're watching it by ourselves. And, you know, we're talking, but we're not really, we're trying to pay attention, especially because we're going to review the film. Mm-hmm. You know, same with Green Book, when it was just yeah. the three of
0: us in an f- empty theatre watching that. That's, that. but that one I didn't mind talking through because... It never happens. It never happens. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> to have a theatre to yourself, even though it's happened to be twice this year, it happened to be twice in a week. What's the other film? The Front Runner. Oh, that's right. You did, yeah, you I got The Front that. Runner with my friend. Did you get we... The Front Row? In the front runner? No, we were at Carousel 2. <laughs> we had, like, the reclining seats, too. So oh, we my God. had the best time watching that movie. Right, yeah. Because, yeah, the movie was meh. Yeah. But, like, the the experience elevated the film. Because we'd yeah. be able to be there, like... Okay. Just to, as loud and as obnoxious as we'd want to be. If, you know, we're not going to be. Like, in Green Book, we just had a real fun time with that film.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we, like, we adored the film. Yeah. But um, it was... Yeah, you're right. It's that... Exclusivity factor of like it's not going to happen very often. To go back to your stand-up thing, I think if the stand-up is really good, you don't mm. really have to talk to each other because yeah. you're laughing enough.
0: Exactly. I don't know. It's one of those things Still, where I, I when I th- I thought about it the other night because I was watching the Donald Glover one yeah. with um someone and it it was funny to me because it passed it like it passed through my noggin. And I was like, I don't think I've ever watched a stand-up special with someone like. I've I'm sure we've sat down and watched some Bill Burr, like little yeah, bits and pieces, but like bits and pieces, yeah, but yeah. not like a show. Yeah, like I, I see it as if I went and saw Bill Burr live, like if I was in that audience, mm. I wouldn't be talking.
1: Yeah, no, I'd be watching. He would the roast show.
0: you. <laughs> yeah, he would catch you. <laughs> and I think that's that rule should apply when you're watching stand up at home too. Mm. I think, and I was, I was, I was fine with it because like I don't think like. I don't obviously didn't know what Donald Glover was like as a comedian and he yeah. was good. It wasn't like, he was funny, but he's not like on that same sort of league as someone like, a like, like Burr or a Jim Jeffries or a Trevor Noah, sort yeah, of like yeah, those yeah. guys who are just in that, you know, they are comedians, the yeah. they're, they're stand up comedians first and foremost. And. I think I just thought it was really funny because it just passed through me. I was like, I don't think I've ever watched it with someone else. <coughs> Normally, Jesus, I'm just Jesus. sitting in a room laughing at the Netflix yeah, well, <laughs> well,
1: exactly. If you're laughing, you're laughing. You, you feel the empty silences mm. that, that horrify us every night.
0: Oh, well. Sorry that's about been, that. that. That's cool. What else <laughs> should we call it this week?
1: So I did something really interesting. And a lot of people ask me, Jake, why would you do this? Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to give it a try. It's so a common <laughs> question you get asked. <laughs> <laughs> For literally anything I do ever. Jake, why would you do this? No, so I... Um, in preparation for a bit of David Fincher talk later in the show, um I wanted to catch one of his one of his earliest most renowned works his which second is, film his second film seven mm-hmm. ironically yes it is ironic because I've seen seven of his ten films ah. uh-huh. no, but instead of just sitting down and watching the film and enjoying it, I wanted to read the script ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I believe it was Glenn who told us he's mentioned it in the past, he said like if 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 you haven't seen seven do yourself a favour and read the script first. Because he says it's one of his favourite scripts, one of the best scripts that's ever written. So I was like, I'll buy it. I'll give it a go. Now, I think I read the one that he wasn't referring to in the sense that it was an early draft of it. Mm -hmm. It was the first draft. It was written by, gosh, where is it? Andrew Kevin Walker. And, of course, he's still credited as the writer of the film. And it actually has the date, January 27,
0: 1992 on it.
1: Wow. And um, I'm guessing it's the first draft because the ending's completely different. Like, the first, like, four or five scenes are just completely... Cut from the film, but like the film just starts on like page fifteen, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lots of little interesting changes and things that I that after reading the script, sitting down and watching the film, I was like, oh, that's interesting. They took this out. They changed this. They changed this. Like, oh, this bit of dialogue's different. I'm glad because it was wonky when it was written. Oh, they changed this. That's a shame. Or like different emphases. What's
0: well, cool to see um, a film that you had no hand in. Yeah, getting the first draft of that film script reading it and then seeing how how all all of the different amendments and renditions of the drafts eventually cultivated to the final feature. Yeah. You know, how they went from writer's draft to shooting script and and so on and so forth. And how many drafts... If it's 92, I think seven came out in 95. Yes. So in that three years from the first draft to when the final film was made, how Mm. many more draft renditions and and what point... You know, why did they change things and such?
1: Exactly. I think part of it actually was to do with Fincher and I think Brad Pitt specifically, especially with the ending mm-hmm. and, of course, like all the, all the stuff like what's in the box, none of that's in the script. It just kind of ends with a bit more of a generic sort of tanglement gunfight between, you know, the three mm-hmm. kind of the, the people that were focusing on am I'm, I'm avoiding spoilers because I don't need to spoil the film for the one person who hasn't seen it. <laughs> it used to be two, but now I've seen it. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's just so interesting, especially because the scripts we're used to reading, are stuff that's very local, very short, five to 20 pages max. Uh, and then, yeah, we just see how our friends made decisions. Sometimes we're involved in that decision-making. Mm. Usually we're the ones giving the feedback, And I actually cut this scene. So mm. I was really removed from this and going to the point where I didn't even know who was who, like mm-hmm. I know Morgan Freeman's in the film. I wasn't a hundred percent sure that he was Somerset when reading that script. So yeah. I had a really fresh perspective, like, Gweneth Paltrow in I have no clue. I read that script, knew her arc, no I had clue that that was her who played yeah. that role. So that was, like, a cool little thing, you know? No, so, that's, that's fair. Yeah, that, w- that was me having fun Did with Did you it. enjoy the film? The film itself, I very much enjoyed. I mm-hmm. think it has like, a cool style, and, like, we'll, again, we'll get into all that, because this all goes back to directing in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but... Um, I it stuck out with me because I know films of this kind where it's very much like detective-based crime neo noir almost in a lot of ways, or just straight up noir. Uh, always there always need to be some sort of hook, and I thought the killer and the killer's motives and the way they introduced the seven deadly sins. I thought that was all fun and mm-hmm. really interesting. I, l- I just loved how dark the film was. There yeah. are just some scenes that are so messed up in that film, but it's, um, it's yeah. pretty
0: full on. It is pretty full on. It's a it's a f- a film that in all seriousness I watched that film probably like two three years ago mm. and I didn't know the ending the what's in a box right like, yeah I'd I heard I, I the line spo- I had it spoiled yeah but heard the line okay. over and over I even saw probably parodies of it but it just never registered with me so when I actually did get to watch the film I was surprised mm. just the same with usual suspects when you know yeah, you find yeah. out Yeah, with um, who also Kaiser Kevin Spacey yeah and that's one of those things that is homaged in films so much, or parodied by other films so much. The, the I remember watching Scary Movie when I was twelve, and there's a moment where they do the Kaiser Soze thing. Oh, okay. Um, uh, the from Usual Suspects where she drops like the glass, and it's got like Doofy who was the killer in oh, the original. What, I know,
1: I do remember that. Yeah,
0: because yeah. I saw Scary Movie before I saw Um Usual Suspects. Yeah, and
1: that's now that, it's clicking for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But And then when, I was, when we watched Usual Suspects, I think the first time I watched Usual Suspects was, you know, in our it, Screen 100 our class. Nice, yeah. yeah. And same the, for me. the ending was a legitimate surprise to me. I didn't expect it. I, it. I That's what I loved about it. But that's
1: the thing, though. Like, we got lucky in these cases. Yes. But most films are spoiled now. Most of the classics are spoiled. You know, the ending I mean, to Planet of the Apes is... never. I've one never watched it.
0: Sixth Sense because yeah. I've never... I already know the the icy dead people thing is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. Spoiler. Yeah. <gasps> um, but, oh no! But yeah, you. So right. I've never been compelled because I know the ending. You know, I know this. I know the spoiler behind it. So yeah, yeah. Whereas with these other ones, I was lucky enough to uh, not you know never watch them. Yeah, I've never seen Titanic, because I know it sinks at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Whoopsie doodles. Yeah. yeah but...
1: No, but, well, after Seven, I, we had to chill. I was watching it with my friend Mel, and we swapped over to Son of the Mask, which is the sequel to that Jim Carrey. I've never seen The Mask. It, see, I can't remember, because I, I watched both those films a very, very long time ago, mm. and I even bought Jackie a, a Jack a copy of The Mask not that long ago, when we all went to JB, and I couldn't tell you if the first one's any good or not. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But rewatching that second one last night, holy wowzers. This movie is a giant meme all throughout. Really? It's amazing. There's a five minute sequence where there's sperm swimming. <laughs> and it's just like, what's going on? It just makes no it's sense. It's like a
0: fever dream.
1: It was. It was. It's like there's uh it's it's one of those films where like you just watch it and you just you just pick at it so much. It's so fun. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even stuff that's technically wrong with the film. It's like for example, it opens up with this, you know, cartoonist and his and his wife. The wife wants a mm-hmm. baby. The cartoonist isn't ready for one. But then when he puts the mask on, he has this, like, wild, funky night, you know, where it's, like, it's, like ten music videos happen at once to be like, oh, look, he's cool when he wears the mask. <laughs> and then he comes home and he gets his wife pregnant. So the whole time we're just making jokes about how he's not actually the father. This, like, green dude is actually the father. And it's just, it's just so funny. It's a meme of a movie.
0: That's so weird that you watch Son of the Mask, because I actually managed to catch uh, a movie that I watched a lot (laughs) younger. I remember this film um, so much. We used to rent it out at the Blockbuster down the road from where both you and I live. Oh, I went Um, there all the
1: time, man. Yeah.
0: um, I used to rent it out pretty much every week. There were two movies I'd rent out the most at Blockbuster. Yeah. This would have been really cool if you had X Rental news. Um, yeah, well, it comes uh, out next month, twenty fifth of October. There we go. Um, I, r- I rented out two movies a lot. I rented yeah. out Yu-Gi-Oh the movie, <laughs> and I'm
1: sorry, uh, It's was a go good on, movie. Go on, Power on. of Friendship. Okay, uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> how he always he always pulls the right card at the end. Um, yeah. And I rented out Looney Tunes back in action. Oh,
1: okay. And I think I
0: rented that out. Maybe like eight or nine times. I have awesome. no clue why I liked that movie so much. And the other day I rewatched it, and I think that sort of plays into yeah. the Warner Bros. Uh, gotcha, gotcha. Warner Bros. Uh, Warner, Brothers. Mars, Brothers. Warner Brothers, right? Okay, am yeah, sure. So. I'm sure uh, that it, looks like a Looney Tune. Fact checker, Jesse. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, <Warner>. Anyway, <laughs> Brendan Fraser. Bless him. He's just so... Bless him. Early 2000s was great for Brendan Fraser. You know, he ran <sighs> off The Mummy. I watched that in the last week too. The Mummy. Uh, oh, rewatch well, that. the first time? Oh, rewatch no, that. Gotcha, gotcha. please. I've watched I The Mummy. I haven't seen The Mummy. What? Yeah, man. We are definitely doing an episode on The Mummy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, You'll no. Find time for it, yeah. Leaning Tunes Back in Action. Have you seen it? Uh, I I don't know. All these like
1: animation stuff, like... It's live-action animation. It is. Oh, so oh it's like, right, right, right. So, like, Space Jam. Very much
0: like The Mask, right? That's sort of uh, live-action animation? It's,
1: it's mostly... Well, the the actual movie with like Jim Carrey is 99%, like, I think. The sound of The Mask was weird because there was a lot of animation mm. stuff weaved in there, but it was, like, so sort of
0: stylistically odd. Okay, well, Looney Tunes back but in action is yeah. more like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's very okay, much okay. like the two uh, meeting each other. Yeah. There's another film I've never seen. Haven't seen *Who Framed Roger Rabbit*. Um, Have you seen
1: *Space Jam*? Nope. Okay. Um, I feel I feel like that's probably the best comparison next to next to Roger yeah. Rabbit.
0: Yeah, but it's it, it's an interesting film. It's there's some real unashameable product placements. It's basically just Looney Tunes characters interacting <laughs> with Brendan Fraser for an hour and a half. It's Fine, I've, it's fine. I, I remember why I liked the movie. I think sometimes because you were five. <laughs> yeah. Do you know that that Dora movie's been getting like really positive
1: reception? I've heard that. I keep seeing like ads pop up. And I'm like, am I? I want to like laugh at this, but I guess I'm not allowed. To. I don't know. You're right. It's getting such good it's reviews. Got
0: such good reviews. I mean, we got to put ourselves in perspective. There's, there's probably eight, nine year olds out there who love that kind of movie. That movie we probably would have liked and appreciated it. At, at, Six or seven, I don't know. I
1: suppose. Right? I don't know, it's tricky. Kind
0: of looks Spy Kids-like, you know, sort of, that style. Yeah.
1: I mean, Spy Kids has, like, that, like, the edginess of it works to their favour because there's so much of it. Mm. I feel like this is semi-taking itself seriously, the Dora stuff.
0: Yeah. I could be wrong, though. I haven't seen it. I but don't know. It kind of gives me, like, it's a more... Uh, PG Jumanji, like that new Jumanji movie.
1: But isn't it? Wouldn't Jumanji be like PG anyway? Yeah, I
0: guess. But it's. I think it's like that. That little bit tier below. Okay. Uh, okay. If Jumanji's like for 10, 11 year olds, Dora might be for like six or seven year olds. Gotcha. Yeah. It
1: might. Well, it might be in the same vein as Detective Pikachu. Yeah. Where it's like one of those films where we both actually really adore that film because it's yeah. it's unashamedly what it is and it's quite good in a lot of ways. Yeah. I so think that's that sometimes
0: what? It is. Gets, well, yeah, it's where you put kid films. And I think that's when I was watching this. I was just watching it because it was like, it just popped up. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, I could use a film that... Uh, well, was this like on Netflix? No, it was just, uh, I saw it in my DVDs. Oh, I was just gotcha. like, sure, so you, own, you
1: own it now after all the rental times.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just yeah. made me think, I think it's that nostalgia because I used to love mm. going to Blockbuster and stuff like that. Absolutely. So. I was
1: actually just talking to one of your actors this morning about... I would used to go to that very blockbuster you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I used to go there every week and rent the same Spider-Man game on PS2. And I would rent it so often that by the time my mum bought it for my birthday, I would still instinctively go to rent it. (laughs) And I would have people explain to me, Jake, you already own it. (laughs) You don't need to do this anymore.
0: I never rented games from rental stores. I loved it.
1: You know what the trick is you would do? And this wouldn't work very often, but if you needed to return the the disc, mm-hmm. you would you would eject the disc while the game was running, and if you did it right, you could still play some of the game even when the disc was ejected. So like you would return the game to the video store, but you could still kind of play it. It was really weird. That is
0: very weird. Oh. It's a weird thing to discover. Yeah. What about uh, any You're other movies man. you caught in the last week, Jake?
1: Uh, that's it for me. I actually have a couple of little news stories I want to tell. If, okay. if there's anything, I want you. Up. I wanted to say this last week, and I completely forgot. But I thought these were interesting because they kind of home back to some of our other, um, what's it called, other episodes we've done in the past. Yeah. I mean, the um, only
0: other film I watched this week was Everybody Wants Some for literally the fourth time this year. <laughs> and I'm still on the train that that movie's really good.
1: Fair enough. I mean, after four times And in the a person year, I was
0: with also thought it was really good. Ah, well, there so. you go.
1: You're sorted. Now, I, I wanted to point out some stuff. So, in our episode 10 Don John review. Yes. And that was another director's uh, director's corner. We talked about how we were wondering if Joseph Gordon-Level would ever direct again. Mm-hmm. Turns out he is. It looks like he's writing and directing an Apple show called Mr. Corman.
0: There and he you announced go.
1: this through Instagram. He posted a photo of the script, and it looks like he's writing and directing for the show.
0: That's pretty crazy. So
1: there we go. we got to answer that question later down the good year. Good stuff,
0: Joseph. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. Good <laughs> Contacting hustle, Contacting this in a massage show podcast with this limited scoop.
1: Absolutely. Well, he's got his own podcast now, so... I'm not advising you to go watch it. I'm well, I humbly accept my answer. guest appearance on the Jason <laughs> Godlet. <laughs> they had Ryan Johnson on a few weeks ago.
0: Oh, oof!
1: Listen to it; it's interesting. I know, I know, you don't like that movie, but I like Looper.
0: The yeah, I like Looper. I love
1: Brick. I mean, I love Last Jedi. I'm unashamedly about loving Last Jedi, but mm. but um, I
0: still recommend you give it a listen. No more Star Wars. Yeah. We should ban Star Wars talk on this show.
1: <laughs> and when we when we get to Rise of Skywalker's release, that's going to be an interesting. I
0: legitimately don't want to see it. Yeah. I really don't want to see it. That's fair. I'll watch it day one just because I do
1: like that portrait. We're not gonna get into this. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, the other thing I wanted to point out,
0: um Uncut Gems,
1: uh, which is that Adam Sandler film that mm-hmm. has been recently reviewed and it got like a hundred percent rating on Ron Tomatoes. I'm not sure if it's still the case, but I've you know, we've all been joking about it, being like, Wait, how did an Adam Sandler film get a hundred percent? Yeah. Turns out that film is directed by the Safety brothers. If we want to go back to our episode nine review of Good Time. Yes. So there you go. Just a couple of interesting little things I wanted to um, kind of point out before we moved ahead. It is quite yeah. a funny one.
0: I did catch one film, another film this week, which I literally just remembered when you were talking about the Safdie brothers. Then okay, um, I actually caught uh, The Sisters Brothers. Is that them? No, it isn't them. But okay, it, they're, it's an indie film. That's just <laughs> it has Jake it has Joaquin Phoenix, very oh, uh, John that's C. Riley, nice, nice, Jake Gyllenhaal. And yeah, it's a film that centers around, uh, two outlaw brothers who are John C. Riley and Joaquin Phoenix. I was con when, when I was watching it, I was contemplating whether this should be an episode on the show. I came to the conclusion. No, okay. I don't want it to be. I think it was fine. I don't know if it was, um, it's great to see John C. Riley, who was really the central protagonist of this film. Um, it's really great to see him in kind of a lead role because often okay. I find John C. Riley kind of gets always lost in the shuffle and he always gets put in the supporting or the the ensemble. Yeah, rather. you don't
1: really think of him as like a leading.
0: Yeah, I mean man if you think of the films like he's in, he's often the supporting, not. And it was good to see him sort of take the central point. Mm. Him and Joaquin Phoenix, albeit, and and Jake Gyllenhaal, and it was a fine film. It was like a seven out of ten. You know, Very nice. cause I'm attracted to because it, it was a western. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It was it was a fine film. It was nice. It was it looked really nice. Um,
1: but was there it, a specific reason you don't necessarily feel the need to talk about it
0: on a wider scope? I think it's just because it left me sort of okay. So with westerns, because I have I'm so I'm a huge westerns fan. I love mm. western movies. Spaghetti Westerns, especially that, that period in the 60s with all of those Western films, you know, all the Eastwoods and basically, yeah, any of those are like, you know, Leone and stuff like that. And I, I always find with my West... Because the bar is so high with Westerns, if a film just doesn't hit that next gear or isn't particularly, you know, dynamically fun to watch... There are some mm. great sequences in this film, but okay. nothing that I don't think I've you know, I haven't seen before. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, I'll, t- I'll take a film that was not critically acclaimed, but I found was actually a really easy and fun watch. And because it was an easy and fun watch, I kind of liked... Th- I feel like I'd revisit <laughs> The Magnificent Seven, oh, okay. the remake... I, I've never seen it. ...more than I would revisit this film, simply because I had more fun with The Magnificent Seven. It's... It's more campy. It's mm. a re- Everyone's like, oh, well, it's a remake, so it's not going to be as fun. It actually got a lot of scrutiny because it's like everyone just thought, oh, well, it's just a lazy remake for a bit of you know, an extra buck. But I actually thought it was a really fun viewing, and yeah, okay. you know, it was a easy viewing. You know, it's not anything critically, you know, masterful or anything like that. But I, I sat there. It was two two hours of my life, and I didn't feel like I had two hours of my life taken from me.
1: There you go. That's the goal of any film—is not. That feel was more like an action western
0: that. too, though. That definitely was more like, oh, it's all the big build-up to the huge shoot out at the end, sort of type of western, rather than Sisters Brothers mm. is definitely more a character piece. Gotcha. And I like character pieces, but sometimes you're just in a mood for some shoot 'em ups. Gotcha. You know. No, it just—it sounds particularly like, in the last week.
1: Yeah, exactly. It sounds—it sounds like you've caught this film. If you caught it at a different time, you might have thought even more highly of it, and it
0: sounds like you do in a lot yeah. of ways. But um, it's great acting. Yeah, has some really cool sequences. It's a film that if if I have ever made up making something even remotely in that sort of caliber, I'd be proud of it. Pretty, pretty satisfied with my lot. Yeah, <laughs> with your life. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, but that's pretty much all I've caught this week. So that's fair.
1: Well, I'll throw it to you, Zeke, Uh, before we jump into anything, do we want to go into career stuff for the last week, or do we want to go into a little game I've concocted with us?
0: Oh, well, let's go with the career stuffers, and we'll finish with the game, and then we'll move into our movie of the week, I reckon. Oh, exciting! So, um, yeah, career stuff for me, obviously, as we said at the start of the show, uh, we have just come off an 11-hour shoot, (laughs) which, to think about when we finished and this is obviously with set up and, and pack down.
1: Yeah, I'm including from when we got there to when everything was in cars and off. Yeah. yeah. So
0: it wasn't shooting for 11 hours, it was probably close to 8 or 9 eight. maybe. Yeah. Um it was very intense. Uh for obviously we talked about a few weeks on the sh- uh, ago on the show, we are doing this road trip comedy. Um I'm writer director on it. Um Jack Bett who's obviously Not really a guest at this point. He's more or less like an ensemble cast member. (laughs) I think he's only been on like five or six shows, actually.
1: Really? If you count it, it's not that many.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I guess whenever he's on, it feels like he's here for longer. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, uh, he obviously co-wrote it. Um, He wrote the original script, and then we went from there. And, yeah, no, it was our road trip comedy, and we've done the last two days of shooting, so we're right in the middle. So tomorrow we have another really big day. Um, And then... A
1: end cap with a nice smaller. day. Yeah,
0: if if the shooting intensity was a graph, it very much looks like a hill. <laughs> yeah, it hits its peak and then it will ease down. I think we're
1: we're about we're about a meter away from the top of the hill. I would say. Oh,
0: I'd say. I'd say.
1: See, let's, let's just see how we start. I think. I think with tomorrow, like we're pretty confident how tomorrow's going to go, because mm-hmm. it'll be a first time on location. Yeah, and it's it's quite a hefty part of the shoot, which I think once the film's out there and we'll talk about it in more detail. Um, but I think once we know that that's fine (laughs) and we start shooting it, then it's all like relaxed from there. These last
0: two days, they've been intense for a completely different reason. So in our film, we'll obviously talk about it with more detail, the closer it gets to finishing, mm -hmm. but we have tried a few things and being this show is kind of our platform to talk about being micro budget filmmakers. Absolutely. Yeah. At least in this section of the show, and how we try and overcome the obstacles of having next to no money to make films of you know, really good calibre or to the best of our abilities. And this film in particular is definitely, for ZKJ, the most intense mm. that we've done and the most uh, experimental and the most ambitious, definitely, on a scale-wise, I think... Like really, looking at it, what we're trying to achieve in the time that we're trying to achieve it with the with the resources, it's it's all pretty crazy for the budget that we've got, which is you know, next to next to nothing mm. in in the grand scale, scale of filmmaking. But uh, these first two days, they've they've been interesting from a directing point of view, but they're they've been really cool in their own right. The crew has been. Top notch, but it, it's, yeah. Pulling the a, a weight, if you will. Yeah, exactly. And the performance has been great so far. And I'm very, I definitely find the older I get, the more we do directing and stuff. I tend to be a bit more stoic, especially on set. Because I don't really like to give too much away from what I'm thinking in the moment. Because I'm not really thinking that. Mm. Like, I'm always trying to just push on and push on and push on and get everything done rather than salivating over one particular take. Those.
1: I think I think um, we're getting, just as you get more experience, more experience, and it's like I'm, I now see myself referring to like, oh, when we were shooting, such and such, when we were shooting, such yep. and such, and these are all like, for the most part, like just short films, mm-hmm. but they all they all build up this experience, and I think it comes with experience, the expectation that these are long days that we're doing. Yeah, So, you know, we'll get to a 6, 7, 8 p.m. time slot, and the people who are more experienced tend to be the ones that are like, let's push forward. It's fine. You know? Yeah. And I think it's good that we had very little resistance so far. And I'm I'm not speaking from an authoritarian point of view. I was on set. I'm first AD and I do like whatever. So I'm kind of in the trenches with mm-hmm. everyone in the same regard, but it's good to see everyone have that same level of enthusiasm. Yeah. yeah. Let's I mean, just
0: push to the end. Screw it. It's definitely uh, time is always the biggest enemy with micro-budget films, and I think we've said that since day one. And for me, it's... Uh, you just push through, and the actors have been super about it. They've... It's been a different directing style mm. I've tried to adopt in this film, because I think it's appropriate, given the type of film it is. Um, I like to be a little bit more liberal with uh, uh script freedom, as yep. I like to give them... They obviously have their key plot points they got to cover, but... If they feel a natural ad lib, then I'm happy for them to express it because it can potentially, especially from a comedic standpoint, set the scene up to be more funnier than even on just, paper. Just to elevate it, yeah. Which I mean, there were times already on today's set where everyone was very much struggling not to laugh. Mm. Um, so that that was really good, honestly. And yeah, no, I'm I'm keen. Awesome. So,
1: yeah. Well, I'm kind keen. of in the same boat with you there. Like I said, first day in, so I'm I'm there for the for the whole ride, if you will. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going on another shoot. I'll probably talk about more. I think when we record next week's episode, I'm going to be in the trenches of that shoot, yeah, as well. So I'll talk a bit about that then. Uh, but I'm I'm very much stressing because I'm in the trenches of two shoots back to back right now, on top of the usual uni yeah, kind of mid semester crunch, if you will. Know how to so, know how to
0: book your uh, time management. There, <laughs> mate. It's
1: it's not great. It's not smart. Nah. But hey, the, fa- the fact that we're both still here doing the show on time
0: yeah. makes me very proud. Exactly, exactly. But so yeah. you said
1: you have a game. I do have a little game. So I've got here, Zeke, a bunch of quotes I'd like to read for you. i like to read these quotes and I want you to respond to each quote with just a, a one or two word little thing. What, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when I read these quotes to you? Okay. There's, we'll see how this goes. I don't know how okay. going to go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is this is intriguing. It's a little test. Uh, this a... is one of those map things, like you did in one of the earlier episodes. Where no, I'm to no. Figure out what so if you go on. if you
1: go back, audience, episode two when we did uh, Roma. Before we started the film, there, we did a little quiz thing. It was mm-hmm. it was yeah, it was like a little mind map thing where you answer yes and no questions, mm-hmm. and then by the end it tells you what role you would be on a film set. And we had fun with that one. This yeah. is this is a little different. Okay, but not too different.
0: Hit me with the quotes.
1: Okay, first quote. It's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything.
0: And you want me to say, like, a character or something? No,
1: just anything that comes to your mind.
0: You Sorry. repeat it again?
1: All right, I'll repeat it one more time. It's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything.
0: Oh, that one's a tricky one. I feel like I've heard, like, something like this before. I'm thinking, like... Lost everything, do everything. Honestly, the first thing that came to my head was like the Joker or something like okay. that. Okay, fair yeah.
1: enough. It's interesting. All right, here's another quote: "This is your life, and it's ending one moment at a time."
0: This is your life, and it's ending one moment at a time. Yep. That's like, um, Brad Pitt, right, from mm. Fight Club.
1: Here's another quote, Zeke: "You are not special. You're not a beautiful and unique snowflake." You're the same decaying organic matter as everything else. We're all part of the same compost heap. We're sinning or dancing crap of the world.
0: That's, that's Ed Norton from Fire Club. <laughs> <laughs> so these are all quotes from Fire Club. These are f- quotes from Fire
1: Club I'm reading. Uh, i got a couple more. I'm going to throw you away. Okay. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we would all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't, and we're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very pissed off.
0: Right. So the Project Mayhem sort of speech, right? Yeah. yeah. It all kind of comes together in to form. So what's the point, point you're trying to make with this, Jake?
1: I just thought it would be a fun game to see how long it, it, it took for you to, pretty quickly as we learnt, yep. to kind of figure out where these quotes are coming from. I just wanted to get a little sneak peek into your mind there. Uh, I like that Joker was the first one you went to.
0: Uh, yeah, and it's funny because that anything one, I feel like I remember the exact quote from that. So I don't, but yeah, it feels like a Joker-esque sort of thing. I mean, it, it plays into the sort of uh, DID schizophrenic sort of messages in Yeah Fight Club, which we'll talk about later in the show. But a lot of quotable lines, a lot of uh real uh hardcore lines in Fight Club. Yeah,
1: that was kind of my takeaway from mm-hmm. the film. Without jumping ahead, it was that idea of like, wow, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a lot of kind of interesting quotes and dialogue. Well, that
0: being said, that was a fun game, Jake.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think
0: it's time for us to move into the second half of the show. Obviously, we're doing our Director's Corner, but what are we watching oh, this week, Jake? Darn it, I forgot, Zeke.
1: Oh, wait, <laughs> no! It's Fight Club!
0: I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Why? How much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? Wait, let me start earlier. Like many of you, I was stuck. You want me to deprioritize my current reports until you advise of a status upgrade? Make these your primary action items. I couldn't sleep. No, you can't die from insomnia. I'd flip through catalogs and wonder what kind of dining set defines me as a person. This is your life and it's ending one minute at a time. A depressed man suffering from insomnia meets a strange soap salesman named Tyler Durden and soon finds himself living in his squalid house after his perfect apartment is destroyed. The two bored men from an, form an underground club
1: with strict rules and fight other men who are fed up with their mundane lives as well.
0: Hmm. So, this comes from the directorial mind of David Fincher, because it's his week on Director's Corner.
1: Whoa. As it... Jake yeah. talked
0: about earlier in the show, you talked about Seven.
1: Yeah, thought, so that's the main reason I watched Seven, was the prep for this uh, for this director's corner, because when we tend to do these, we tend to spend a bit more time at the show talking about the director and kind of their filmography on a wider mm-hmm. scope than just the film itself. Uh, so I want to do a bit more research. I've seen you know Social Network and Gone Girl, Zodiac, uh, you know Benjamin Button. I've seen all that stuff, but I wanted to see his early work mm-hmm. as well. So I thought Fight Club, Seven, kind of go hand in hand in that way. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of why I caught that one, and I think he has a great filmography. And I think this week, especially, I feel like I learned a lot about him just from these two films. Well, it's
0: like you said, with uh, you've watched seven of his ten. Yes. Said? Yeah. Which I think is about where I sit off the top of my head um, Alien 3, 7, Fire Club. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's seven, I think, for me. Fair enough. So uh,
1: he's had a couple of other films. Oh, I've seen Panic Room as well. I forgot about that. Have you seen Panic Room? I have not. That's it's interesting. He's got a very young, um, is it Kirsten Stewart? Or Christian Stewart. I think it's Kirsten Stewart. I don't know. Bella from Twilight. Yeah. You know her name. <laughs> she's good in other stuff, but that's that's how she's gone by. Um, he also did a, 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 a film called The Game, which I think he did in between Seven and Fight Club. Right. i uh, I pretty much have not heard about that film at all.
0: No, I've not seen that one either.
1: And I never saw The Girl with the Dragon
0: Tattoo. Also haven't seen it. So
1: there we go. That's kind of where we stand, I suppose. A, I think we've
0: both seen the same Seven, I think. Oh,
1: well, there you go. But out of that same, you know, Seven of his films. I feel like there's such an interesting... First off, a shift in directing style, I feel Mm -hmm. like. Um, But at the same time, I just feel like there's a lot of interesting things that he does.
0: There's definitely... um, And there's a lot of uh, drawbacks, obviously, to his music video career. Mm. Because when he got the gig behind Alien 3, he was coming off about a decade of pretty much music video director dominance. He had the biggest names in the world of music asking him to do his music videos purple rain uh, madonna like that sort of prince and madonna and stuff like that so he was he was doing fine by the time that he got his first like directing gig he yeah. was very much a self-sufficient and hugely at the top of the music video industry so mm. and you can sort of see um his you know, we, we we talked about Memento with Nolan and with, I think, especially with earlier Nolan, it feels, obviously, like things like Memento feel kind of smaller, mm. whereas with Fincher, from the get-go, he got given you know, relatively big-budget films, um, and you can see it even in Seven. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in this film, they have very, uh, I noticed this with the locations, the locations are very very drastic, like the, the, the squalid house that um, Ed Norton's character and Brad Pitt live in. It's, it's an abomination, but it's such a architecturally and visually loud thing on a screen, no matter what. And I I think the further his career progressed, the more he shifted away from sort of visual presentation with the eyes and started doing more stuff digitally with cameras Mm particularly in, you know, from Zodiac onwards, which that has a lot of uh, cinematic history behind that film being the first film that was completely, uh, like, shot on a digital... digital.
1: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I me- and I remember Social Network also had kind of a big leap in terms of digital photography yeah. as well. I-, I couldn't tell you specifically what it was, I actually don't remember.
0: Well, Somebody that was shooting at night, low yes, light conditions. Yeah, Z- Zodiac was the first to do it and then Social Network sort of innovated off it. Yeah,
1: so, so Finch has kind of been ahead of all that kind of stuff, almost in the same way that Chris Nolan's very like pro film and that Finch is very much kind of puts those efforts into other places and and highlights yeah. that. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think uh, th- that's just what I've noticed with the earlier stuff compared to the later stuff. It feels like when he didn't ha- when he had the limitation of film, he then put his effort into making set pieces. Mm. You know, Um in seven. The opening scene is in bucketing down rain, and it's yeah. very, it's it's almost over the top. So it's it's very much like it's very loud yeah. presence, you know.
1: Well, in that in regards to seven, that's clearly to establish the city they're in, yeah, and the tone of that film. But you're right; it's like it's not cheap to do a lot of this stuff, and I think people kind of lose sight of that every now mm. and then.
0: These aren't, whereas with Nolan, you know, Memento didn't. You can see it, it mm. didn't cost near like it would have cost probably a fraction of what Seven cost.
1: In the same sense, almost even Bottle Rocket, yeah, like that and Memento are quite comparable. And that not that they look cheap, but you can you can tell that the, a lot of the artistry and effort went to a, a more grounded depiction of yeah. the worlds they were in. You
0: know, or well, Welcome to Collinwood. Yeah, exactly. These, yeah, these like they. Are using their limited budget and they're accentuating their individuality through different fields, whereas Fincher had probably a, you know from the get go a relatively. I mean, the first film he did was a the third installment in one of the biggest sci-fi horror franchises. Always,
1: look, I understand everything you say about the music stuff. Yeah. It just it still surprised me. That's such a weird directorial debut for someone. I guess I
0: don't know. I mean, he's talked about it on his BAFTA sort of um, moment in Mm. the life of David Venture And he talks about how, you know, he he crawled his way up the sort of the music video ladder. He established himself as quite a big name there, Mm. but it was very hard to make headroom in the theatrical because... Up, you know, the 80s music videos was the surgence of the music video in the 80s, you know, the late 70s, early 80s. That's when... With you do with, like,
1: MTV and stuff
0: like that. Absolutely. Yeah, hmm. exactly. Um, up until that point, music videos were often, uh, honestly, just the band performing the song. With yeah. Like, some of them being the flared up or stuff like that, like the Beatles did a few, but it wasn't, it wasn't huge or anything. It wasn't mainstream. So he kind of seized that market, but that... Also led to obviously traditionalist Hollywood being like uh, these these guys who make the music videos don't have the same talent, right? Yeah, as yeah. As, as which now it's almost morphed the complete opposite way. Now yeah, you got people like what Paul Thomas Anderson doing that ten minute thing on Netflix, a couple, oh, yeah. uh, you know that music video for like thirteen minutes or whatever. So it's it's almost switching. Yeah, like in a you way.
1: Have... Well, I think you're definitely right on the queue with the the melding of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've seen a similar thing with TV as well, mm-hmm. and how TV directing TV crews are very comparable to film these days, and in yeah. a lot of ways, even can be superior, especially because they're working on faster schedules. And it's interesting with Fincher having come from music videos to films. The last, he hasn't made a film in five years. Everything he's been working on since has been like House of Cards. He directed that first and episode, which and Mindhunter exactly. Yeah. You know, so it's interesting, his career, more than I think any other director we've talked about in the show, has really gone on his own gamut. He's like, screw it, I'm going to do what I want to do.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think um, it's it makes sense, because he was struggling to make Headroom, that he, I think he was good friends with Scott and Cameron, mm. and they sort of helped elude him into that. But unfortunately, at that point, there was a lot of executive producer creative control behind Alien. Yeah, Because of the success, like the the tonal shift between Alien and Aliens was enough to keep the idea of Aliens fresh. But unfortunately, by the time they got to the third one, he had an idea, but didn't get to do it his way. Yep. And obviously that led to basically everyone going out on a limb with Seven, where a lot of people had to push for that project to get over the line the way that it did get over the line. because. For example, marketing wanted to put Kevin Spacey on the poster. Right. Following the And, vision.
1: I, and I thought it was very clever in the film that Kevin Spacey's that's the first thing you see in the end credits mm-hmm. is him as uh as, the, as yeah. John Doe, yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh they the the only reason Spacey would do it is if he wasn't put on the poster. Yeah. So I love that. And and Brad Pitt pushed for that too. Like there's a lot of push with Seven especially to do with Brad Pitt, and maybe that's mm. why Fincher followed him up with Fight Club. There's yeah. probably a there's probably a link there.
1: Well, that's that's one of the interesting things I realized about Fincher this past week watching these two films was obviously Brad Pitt's in both of them. Mm-hmm. He's also in Benjamin Button. Mm-hmm. I don't recall him in any. He might be in Dragon Tattoo or something like that. But point is, I think Brad Pitts is Fincher's kind of go to actor, and at least
0: in those earlier days, at yeah, least I in the, mean, the same it, way that Quentin Tarantino consistent yeah. Uh, I can't think of a actor off the seven I see that he appears who, anyone he he definitely the older he's gotten the less he's done that sort of yep but obviously you can see an early and that's the thing you do as a filmmaker and I totally understand it the longer we do it because mm. it's like you work with someone they know how you work you know how they work and you they also, if they are really good to work with, of course you're gonna to want to work with them again. And yeah. if you get along with them offset, then of course you're gonna feel more incentivized to help them get the roles that you want them to get because you know how capable they are. I know I mean that's literally plays into the film that I'm shooting right now. I mean yeah. three three of the cast members on there are like in our current cast are people I've either worked with before or seen and, and get along with enough to just mm. allow them to be like, oh, you know how I work. They know how I work. It's just, it all works off each other really well. And yeah. and does that mean I'm more incentivized to put them in future films? Of course it does. If they're the right for the part, of course I would.
1: Yeah, And if you're friends with Brad Pitt, he's always right for the
0: part. I well, wish, you, I wish, and you get a yeah. performance like you do in seven you kind of earn the fight club that's what I was gonna say he's so shockingly different.
1: he's two complete different people yeah across these two films like it blew me. away. I was like, this is the same dude as well as coming off once upon a time in Hollywood. yeah but he's also equally amazing in that film it's like mm-hmm. he is i've I've never thought of Brad Pitt from an acting point of view before I've never just never seen him enough
0: stuff but he's that's crazy
1: he's blown my mind in the last couple but of but he's
0: a bit of a sleeper hit sometimes I think people forget how good he is at acting because i feel like he's more an icon of hollywood but not for the acting side do you know what i mean yeah. he's more you say brad pitt because we used to say brad pitt angelina jolie and that was like oh the hollywood oh uh, yeah couple. I,
1: forgot. I honestly forgot about that yeah <laughs> but that
0: was like whenever you'd hear the name brad pitt in a conversation you just think hollywood star yeah, But honestly, yeah, if you if you actually asked a general person, like, oh, what films have you seen Brad Pitt in that you really like? They'd probably all say the same thing. Say something like Seven or Fight Club, maybe yeah. Inglorious Bastards.
1: Oh, yeah, he's in Great... Oh,
0: you see what I mean? Yeah. He's, he's a, sl- a bit of a sleeper, I, I do admit. Yeah. I think he's something that people just think might be a pretty face, and he's a little bit better than just a pretty face. Exactly.
1: That, I mean, it feel, he's I feel a like... Face. Very, He's a gorgeous man. I feel like people would associate him more with, like, a Tom Cruise type than a, I guess, Leonardo DiCaprio type,
0: you know? Which is ironic, because he's way more a Leo DiCaprio type than he is exactly, a... Exactly, exactly. Tom Cruise. He really doesn't do that many sort of stunts. He's kind of a bit... Yeah.
1: Well, I just mean in terms of, like, the star power. Yeah. Of like, you know, there's a lot of people out there who you meet, and they're like, oh, I don't like Tom Cruise. He seems like a dick sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I, I don't know, for some reason in my head, I've always felt... Like Brad Pitt was in the same consensus, okay, just by namesake, but I really do respect him as an actor. He's brilliant in a lot of this stuff.
0: Well, I mean, we can move more into the film itself. Yeah. Let's talk about some Fight Club. Well, it's the 20th anniversary of Fight Club also. In fact, Um,
1: it premiered at the Venice Film Festival on September the
0: 10th. That's insane. So
1: within the last week, 20 years ago.
0: This is insane how coincidental we actually end up, like, lining this one up. Yeah.
1: And you're not going to believe this as well. I got home...
0: Did it get an eight-minute standing ovation? <laughs> <in the fence>?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but here's to me. I got home, and I was going to eat dinner. And, you know, we, we split after the shoot to eat dinner before we came back yeah. to do this. And within that time, I went on my YouTube, and guess what popped up on my feed? What? A Wisecrack video about Fight Club. There you go. So I watched that in preparation. It was more to do with, like semiotics and, like, audience interpretation of, like, the themes of the film. Mm-hmm. And it kind of strays a little off course, so I didn't really learn too much about the film itself. Mm-hmm. But go and watch that video. It literally just came out on Wisecrack. It's a great, great time. It's crazy.
0: So, yeah. I th- I do like Wisecrack stuff. Um, no, honestly, the, the film itself has a lot of themes that were kind of associated with 99, um, which is, you know, 20 years on, they actually, there are many videos out there now that tie themes that seem to occur over some of the biggest films of 99 uh like the matrix this film has mm. quite a green color palette it's quite murky greens and browns um that's i found that one really crazy yeah has a cubicle fetish which i always thought was really funny um, oh, yeah. that films in the ni- in 1999 seem to have cubicles a lot of cubicles
1: yeah, man, that's where you got to be in them cub- cubicles. Yeah. we do American Beauty
0: bucks. like later this this year. That would be really funny. We, th-
1: we totally could. Yeah, um, that's a great pick. Yeah,
0: another another cubicle film, but in uh, '99. But yeah, no, it's 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 a really great film from the mm. the, the the dreary, uh, ner- well, the narrator who we, who's played by Ed Norton is his referred to character, but. Um, I always
1: thought they were just both names Tyler because I misheard one of the early bits of dialogue, and uh, I was like, "Oh, so he's named Tyler." And then twenty minutes later, I was like, "Oh, but Brad Pitt's also named Tyler." Yeah, but he's I just, referred yeah. to as the narrator. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, cool. So, uh, you know, we we've been talking about Brad Pitt, but of course, Ed Norton is in this, and Ed Norton kills he, it. He kills it. He doesn't. Ed Norton. He he's incredibly. <laughs> he doesn't. Ed Norton. Man, he had, like, some great movies come out in that time. That and, like, American History X is just, like, Mm. oh, so good. But, yeah, I I mean, I don't know too much to say about this film on its performances. They're both really good. I think the... I have brought this up in previous weeks, and you've questioned me. I don't know if you've questioned me on the show or off the show. Okay. But I have said this film uh, has been getting a lot of scrutiny the longer it's gone away from the film. Right.
1: Um, so you mentioned this last week when we announced we were doing this mm-hmm. episode. Uh you said that you didn't think it was aged very well in the last yes. 20 years and I was very interested by that and when I finally watched the film very confused okay. by what we meant by so that. So
0: what I mean by that uh, is this film has undergone a lot of scrutiny for its portrayal obviously of like toxic masculinity. Mm. Um its portrayal of women seeing as there's only one female character in it. Um, and she is a uh, she's a, a drug addict. She's a, a bum, and she goes to these crying cancer therapy sessions with right, Ed Norton. kind of the
1: emotional she's, leeching. She's, she's, of she's that.
0: equally as depl- like not equally deplorable to Ed Norton's character, but she is not a positive representation of womanhood. But right. obviously the counterpoint, and I'm not saying I agree with these points, but right, this, this is why stuff you've heard or... this film seems to have crawled down to 79% of Rotten Tomatoes when 10 years ago it would have been sitting in the 90s. And that's just how Rotten Tomatoes works. So you give a negative review, the percentage goes down. And in my opinion, this film, <laughs> watching it for the first time only a few years ago and then watching it this week, mm. it aged... Perfectly fine. It's a film that talks, it does tap on toxic masculinity and it taps on it in a really kind of accurate way that sort of the, the primordial nature of, of, of man for better or worse. Mm. And most of the case for worst, I wouldn't, I mean, the narrator is not a good character. He's not a nice person in any way, shape, or form. Is
1: there any good characters at all in this film? That's something I would pose to you.
0: It's probably fair play. I think it's fair. I mean, you don't... uh, I mean, the narrator is the quote-unquote protagonist of the film, Mm. but he's definitely an anti-hero. Or is this the case of three characters that are all morally uh, balanced and and corrupt? They all have traits that make them human and make them likable, but at the same time they have a far longer list of traits that make them deplorable Mm. and, uh, you know unrecognisable to humanity. And I think uh, Tyler, in particular, is the character that, um, obviously, as we discover, with spoilers, have watched this film, it's 20 All years. spoilers, it's 20 years old. Um, Tyler is obviously a projection of the narrator, mm. um, as uh, the narrator suffers from a dissociative... dissociative Identity Disorder, Mm. or DID.
1: Another example of films that have been spoiled way ahead of time.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, But he does suffer from that, which means the disorder essentially means that um, the narrator, or probably, honestly, his name is probably Tyler, occupies a Mm. different alternative personality that is unrecognisable and unassociative to himself. Um, They often do this to uh, gain an aspect of life, that they don't normally attain. Now, Fincher's obviously done th- um, something with this script, which is really interesting. He's taken a disorder uh, and he sort of sh- melded it into a cinematic script, which is really right. all you can do with a disorder. And this is another reason why I would pose to you that this film maybe not, has not aged as well, is I don't think you can do that today. You wouldn't be able... It's very... I think it's very difficult to talk about a disorder or a disease if you do not directly... Especially in Australian financial bodies for screen. Mm. It's very hard to talk about a disorder without having life experience with that disorder. Now, do I agree with that? Probably not. But, hey, I mean... Fair
1: enough. Well, look, I mean, it's it's interesting and it's fair play. The script was written by uh, Jim... I'm going to... Erlis, uh, jim erlis i guess mm-hmm. um u h l s the only other thing he's ever written was jumper in two thousand eight which i thought was interesting um so you know there is that aspect of like does this writer Jumper's have rough too the... damn <laughs> I didn't mind that you had hating Christians and
0: whatnot do not like jumper
1: but um and so of course based on a novel from three years earlier um Chuck politz Polinic? Polin. oh my god polynic Palin- 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 this is the thing. I heard his name pronounced in mm-hmm. the Wisecrack video. And now I'm like, what? Uh, Palinic. Okay. Chuck Parlinick. Holy crap. Anyway, he's actually made two comic book sequels mm-hmm. to the fight, but obviously not based on the movie or anything like that. But it goes back to these writers um, and David Fincher as a director accurately portraying like these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's very important to the, to the character and the plot even just, like, from the get-go, he has um insomnia. Yeah. And, I mean, I could I talk about how I love the way that affects his character in terms of his arc. He goes mm-hmm. from someone who can't even control his own... kind of the way his own mind and body works to becoming part of this leader of this entity that he can't even control anymore by mm-hmm. the end of the film. Um, but in terms of representing all these things, I f- look, it is... F- you're right, it's hard to talk about because... In this day and age, it is becoming more a case of, you know, are we allowed to talk about this from a from a writing standpoint, from a cinematic standpoint? I, I mean,
0: I think this film has actually done its research. I think I've I've been a firm believer of you should be able to write whatever you want to write. But mm. if you're going to write about something you don't know, you need to research about it. Yeah. That's not difficult i mean it's the it's the common words of knowledge you know if if i don't if i as a man don't know this set of skills or how to talk about a certain topic i'm going to seek those who do know how to and absorb their knowledge for my own benefit i yeah. mean it's it's very simple it's been how films have been made if, if in life we were only allowed to make films about the only thing only life experiences that we ourselves had there would not be that many interesting films. Like, mm. well, there, there would be a vast decrease or a an increase in very monotonous, samey sort of films. Yeah. You know, uh, we've all been through a breakup at some point. Imagine if all we ended up doing was making breakup films. <laughs>
1: <You know? laughs> I mean, hey, if they were all as good as 500 Days of Summer, then I would be keen. Okay. But, no, you do raise an interesting point because like, if you start restricting stories and who can tell specific stories, then... I think we're kind of losing the point of it, almost.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Fire Club came out and talked about, like I said, dissociative uh, identity disorder. And then two years later, A Beautiful Mind came out and was talking about schizophrenia Mm. and about um, a mathematician in real life. And it was a biopic centering around his schizophrenic projections. So it's... And that was done by Ron Howard, so who, to my knowledge, had no real association with anyone with schizophrenia and stuff right. like that. So, at the end of the day, a script is a script. If it's researched and it's a smart script, it deserves to be made. Yeah. If it's offensive and unintelligent, then it won't even get off the floor. But that's any script.
1: Exactly. And even if it did get off the floor, it would be found out eventually. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, like, I feel like these days... It's so easy for a film, especially Tell if I'm it. a general. Tell that
0: to 13 Reasons Why, by the way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but no, but that's exactly my point. The the films that come out in regards to kind of mental illnesses or any of these kind mm. of things, I think these days they're just it's just harder to get them through the door in the sense that audience reactions, audience opinions are such, now you know with the internet and everything we're living in. It's so much more at the forefront. It's mm-hmm. not just what critics think anymore. It's not just what the box office says. It's about the general consensus from, like, a general audience. Yeah. So and they're think, way louder voices now.
0: I think um, audience response is potentially uh, the... And that that internet stratosphere is the most f- fundamental killer and success to good and bad films. I mean, it'd be really interesting to check out uh, that new John Travolta film, The oh, Fanatic. The Fanatic. Oh, that God. grossed $3,700 in its opening weekend. But following all the publication and negative reception that this film got, just out of irony culture, I mm. wonder what the following weeks were. They might have made a lot more money just That's out of irony point. viewing.
1: I might even be able to find that Because you're right, it was about three grand... 3-7. Seven. Three, seven. Three, seven. Oh. So um, um, it, you know now that now that Chris Struckman's done his review,
0: yeah, I'm sure people that, like the numbers him, have gone up. People will be like, "Your movie sucks." They they control things that on especially on that smaller scale. But yeah, it's interesting. I mean, back to the back to the film at hand. Yeah, um, I really like the way this film's structured. I like the choices, um, even. You can see in some of those earlier scenes, like when he goes through his apartment with the IKEA guide. Oh, and just and that it's got the shot. Scott
1: Pilgrim shot of all the Yeah, you items can see
0: the start of Finch's sort of digitization before digitization. Well
1: even the camera work when it's going through the house yeah. and stuff, like that's that all reminded me of like the digital trickery he would do in social network, for example. Yeah, and
0: Zodiac. Yeah. And this film's clearly he clearly wanted to do that. And and the flowing camera movements are tied back to his music video background. Obviously, mm, you flow a lot with music videos. Yep. So... You
1: flow too.
0: It, it makes sense. Um, that's pretty, like... On a, on a nutshell, that's pretty much all I can... Like, I really have to say about Fight Club. But the things I like about it are things such as... I, like I said, I like the performances. I like the way it's shot. I like the narrator character because he's such a deplorable human being, but he's very self-aware of it. Yeah. Um. And the arc that he goes on, but I don't know.
1: Well, what I might do then, I have I have a ton of notes on this film. So what yeah. I might do is I might I might pose some of these things as questions yeah. to you, see if we can see if we can dig out some more out of there, mm-hmm. buddy. Um. No, as well some of the stuff I mentioned to do with the character arc of mm-hmm. um Edward Norton's character. Yeah. And in terms of. Because I feel like this film, and this is what the Wisecrack video goes into, to how people read this film. Mm-hmm. Thematically speaking, it's quite broad. There's a lot going on. Yeah. So I personally like to look at it as, you know, you have this Tyler character, and I'm referring to Edward Norton mm-hmm. as Tyler, who, like I said, he, he ends up building this basically terrorist group. Yeah. You know, through just the eyes of an invisible friend of his. And it gets to the point where he literally, he can't turn himself back back when he tries to give orders saying no I don't want you to do this anymore they refuse they're like yeah but you told us earlier you are going to say that so he's literally lost control of his own Mm -hmm. kind of actions and I think that's sort of reversed at the end I don't like the ending very much oh when he uh, shoots himself well that was cool I guess but I don't know it was just a little confusing and then all the buildings exploding Mm -hmm. that like I mean that's all like CGI stuff that just look it kind
0: of looked cheap yeah, I mean that's that's the sort of stuff though. You're gonna get that, I think, with that, that time that might have been at the end of the Fidsha budget as yeah. per se. But I think, um honestly, no, I I like I do like the ending. Um I think it's very chaotic. It is a little underwhelming, I think, with the with all of the buildings, the, the bank buildings, and I think they are bank buildings. Yeah I, yeah, I
1: think they're trying to destroy all sort of debt.
0: Yeah, basically. Um, As they go down, it's a very ominous, open-ended ending. Mm. Um, And I like the final line that he delivers, Ed Norton. He goes, uh, you've met me at a really weird oh, time That's in life. right. And it's a really kind of clever line because it's sort it's of like, like this yeah. self-actualization a, a, of a character um and it's sort of uh i i think it can draw like links and parallels to things that uh you know happen in today's society i think um this film is good to be reviewed 20 years on because a lot of sort of the central masculine identity questions it's posing are very relevant right now. Mm. Um, This film is talking about uh, the, I think, the loss of manhood uh, to an extent and the reason why uh, Norton or Tyler uh, and the narrator are so successful with alluring new people and new recruits is because they channel they are asking people to channel their uh or well, men in particular their inner primordial you know repression mm. that they've had to repress due to life basically keeping them inside their own respected cubicle well it know?
1: goes back to that logline that we even read earlier mm. where it's it's some mundane lives and they're trying to escape that yeah almost
0: and i think uh that's what this film sort of touches on cuz uh we as men, I and mean, we as people in general, we, we always are looking for escapism, mm. and obviously this film is taking it to a certain extreme standpoint, but its ideological stance is still constant, you know? Yeah. And uh, I think that's that's just an important thing tonight, you know? Absolutely,
1: yeah. Well, I, I want to read this for a couple of little, little tiny little things I notice. Okay. um, And you can tell me if you, these are things you notice mm-hmm. or observations, so... There's parts early in the film, especially during the kind of the heightened scenes at the start, with the where they're stressing the insomnia and the fact that you can't sleep. There's little frames, little bits and pieces where they kind of pull an exorcist, where like a person or a figure pops in a frame for literally a second. Yeah. And they do this a few times. Now I never was able to pause it properly. Do you know what like I'm talking about here?
0: I don't.
1: Okay, I've noticed. I think they do it like three or four times. It's in the first like 15 minutes. When, say, he's talking to someone who's, like, walking down the hallway, Mm -hmm. and if you just don't blink at the right moment, he literally just pops in as if, like, a a cut-out, like, little billboard thing sitting right next to that person. Mm -hmm. And it's just for a quick second... Is it Tyler? It probably is. Or it's probably Brad Pitt before Brad Brad Pitt's introduced. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was thinking, especially because it goes away after that early point of the film. And
0: they they do actually call back to that later in the film when Ed Norton's talking to the camera about how Tyler likes to sneak in yeah, porno yeah, shots yeah. into kids' movies, one frame.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's literally, yeah, it's yeah. exactly the same kind of thing. And that's when I was expecting a little blip at the top right of the screen. That was, that was an incredible, like, weird Kevin Spacey house of cards moment of him talking mm. to the camera and kind of introducing this... I guess yeah. system, and yeah, and it, I guess what that would mean was actually him doing these things, or maybe he just likes the film, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it, I mean, it, I, yeah, it would be him, I'm assuming. Yeah, I, at this but point... it's, it's definitely a assume. deliberate choice if they're they're flipping in there yeah, for a second. Yeah, because
1: you're right, I noticed that as well, I was like, that's literally what they were just doing mm-hmm. in the film, but like, with people, with figures and whatnot. Um, thought that was interesting. Another little note I want to point out was when they're on the plane together, and this is their initial meeting... Mm-hmm. And then Brad Pitt gets up and he's, like, walking past. He makes a joke. He's like, arse or crotch when he walks in front of him. And then, of course, he gives Tyler the arse. But then when he's walking up, there's, like, a stewardess there. And he walks and he gives her the crotch. I thought that was a little nod, perhaps, to kind of the male-female yeah. sort of thing that's going on here. Uh, but, yeah, the violence in this film. It's, uh, it's pretty
0: intense. <laughs> Just uh, a little bit. That That first fight scene... Between, uh, I think it's the first, it's one of the first between, uh, is it Norton and that blonde guy is, uh. Right, yeah. Is, it's something.
1: It's full on. Like, the stuff that's actually happens in the underground. Well, that's the other thing. It's
0: glorification of violence. That's another thing. What, this film's been, uh, weighed down in its Mm. latter years. Gotcha, um, gotcha. Because it feels like it's glorifying fighting, which I think is so hypersensitive and ridiculous, but.
1: Well, that's why, like, and I talked to you about this on Tuesday or Wednesday. Mm. It was, I just seen the film and I talked to you off off the show about Mm. it. And in regards to the violence and all of this, it's like, this is stuff that I feel like would have had a similar effect 20 years ago. Yeah. It's it's almost a comparison of like watching like a Bond film from like one of the very early Bond films and like, oh, there's a bit of a weird sexist sort of comment made. And it's like, that's a little different. That's Mm. like a 70 year jump very clearly was okay then, not now. But I feel like with Fight Club, the last 20 years, I feel like as always... In terms of the violence, in terms of the the sexual representation, I feel like that's always been edgy, mm-hmm.
0: in a way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's totally intentional. They're clearly choosing that sort of tone to, you know, play off the meanings going on. This is meant to be an edgy, sort of dreary, you-don't-know-what's-going-to-happen mm. sort of script, so...
1: I definitely found it, like... Um Investing in that way mm-hmm. of like I was wondering where it was all going, even though I kind of knew Brad Pitt's not real. Yeah, but there's still enough plot elements and character stuff that's going on that I was still invested and in like wondering what's happening yeah. next. but yeah, yeah, it's cool. Um, another thing I didn't notice is technically I read this. Okay, but this was interesting. If you watch the film like piece for piece, I guess you will notice that um Edward Norton's character like his physical physique actually starts kind of shrinking or kind of collapsing on himself, Mm -hmm. he's getting kind of timid, while Brad Pitt's actually getting more and more buff throughout the film.
0: Interesting. And that was something
1: I read that was intentionally done, and I was like, that's interesting. like a power switch. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty clever. I guess that leads right into the end. You see them both with their shirt off?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, hey, it's a win-win situation.
0: Yeah, no. In my mind. Well, would you you like to move into highlight scenes, Jack? Yeah,
1: I feel pretty happy with that, so... Were there any highlight scenes in particular for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've already talked about the Ikea one. That's a really cool highlight scene. Um, I do think the reveal, the moment when he reveals that he is a really clever scene. And just, um, I mean... The most iconic lines are always going to be the scenes that you walk away and you're just like, wow, that scene is really good. And that's why that line became iconic. And when mm. Brad Pitt is going through and talking about the rules of Fight Club, it's, it's pretty like, ah, oh, that's brilliant, you're pretty yeah. sold into the scene and the world you're in.
1: I mean, the amount of times that we've heard, like, what is the first rule of Fight Club? Mm. And then you finally watch, at least for me, when I finally watched that scene, I was like, it just felt so satisfying. Mm. Because I've had the opposite reaction. I've watched scenes, like very famous scenes. Mm-hmm. Um An example. This might be a bit of a controversial example. Is the "Are you not entertained?" scene. I was a little let down by that because of oh, the fight. Yeah, I was a little like, oh, okay. I don't know why. It just. But when it came it to it fight does Club, sort of
0: come at a weird time in that film. I remember it too, when I watched it, because it comes at the end of the first or the second act. It's like. It's mm. in a really weird spot. It's not at the end of the film or anything like that. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's in that. It's in the first gladiatorial fight he has. So, yeah, I agree with you. I'll give you that.
1: I yeah, I can. That, yeah, that's what that's what I mean by that. But I think Fight Club works very well. I got not 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 necessarily chills, but I was like, yeah, this feels mm-hmm. this feels really great. I can see what happens. Um, in terms of were well, there any other se- highlight scenes for you? No, that that's me. Fair enough. This was the first time for me in a long time on the show that I, when we when we did Private Life and Roma in Roma and those mm-hmm. first few, it, we struggled with highlight scenes. Yeah, because there were so many good ones. Yeah, and it's the first time in a long time I feel like I've, I I could point to like seven scenes mm-hmm. and definitively say that's my highlight scene. That's my highlight scene. The initial, like, them fighting and practicing, and we've talked about that. I thought that was really great. Um, We've already mentioned the film reel, the piece of the camera explanation. I thought that was all great. Um, There's three other scenes I want to talk about, and I will will pick one as my highlight. Okay. But I will mention all three scenes. So there's the hand-burning scene Mm -hmm. when uh, Brad Pitt, and it turns out that he just did it to himself, is basically branding or burning his hand as, like, a you know, you need this physical injury. Well, you need scars. And I think that's actually one of the quotes mm-hmm. is like, I don't want to die without scars. Yeah. And that refers to, I, oh, I thought that was a great like tensile scene. And of course it pays off. You find out that it was, he did it to himself almost. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene when I think it's, I think it's Lou or low who he's like, I guess the mafia type of big dude. Well, he owns He owns the building where they're doing the fight club. Yeah. And he comes down, he beats the crap out of Brad Pitt. And then I believe, is it Edward Norton who kind of fights back? Is that what happens? How am I forgetting this now? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I I, I just thought that was a great scene. I guess, I guess my... This is a weird one, mm-hmm. but I think this would be my highlight scene, is when they start giving everyone tasks. Like, you got homework oh, yeah. every week, and they do stuff like vandalism and whatnot. And the one they do that I loved was, you have to find a stranger and... Basically, harass them enough for them to beat you up, and you gotta let them win. And then there's a whole montage of them trying to antagonize people who are just walking by the street. They've got the you know, suit and briefcase, and half the time they won't fight back. They're just too awkward mm-hmm. to, or too passive to do anything. And then eventually they find people who like, who fight back and to beat the crap out of them. Yeah. Just that, I love that so. I was like, that's such a clever, fun idea. And it's true. It's you, very culty. Yeah, and it goes into the, the, the social scheme of, like, who is too nervous to fight back, how violent are every Which day. Which fight or flight. Exactly, you know, and it's that representation on
0: that one little montage. I really I really dug that. Yeah, no worries. Well, so, uh, yeah. that's pretty much all I have to say about Fight Club, Jake. Cool. Got any uh, final notes? I got one last question for you. Okay. Yeah.
1: I almost called you Matt for something. You're not Matt.
0: You're like, <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't know why. <laughs> all right. so. See. Long day. Long, absolutely long day. So, another film we just did The Matrix, 1999 yes. film. Now, this film was nominated for one Oscar Best Sound Editing. And I must before well thrown out that I thought the sound was excellent in mm-hmm. this film in terms of the, the ever living cityscape outside and some of the smash cut mm-hmm. audio stuff they do is excellent. But this lost to The Matrix for that award. Do you agree with that result? Would you say The Matrix has better sound editing?
0: Than no. I'd say Fight Club probably has better oh, sound. editing. Fair enough. That would be uh, Sorry. Sorry, Matrix. <laughs> you're Oopsie. personally
1: apologizing to the...
0: Well, to no film. worries. Well, yeah. Fight Club is most definitely out on DVD in a store <laughs> near you. Uh, happy 20th anniversary to Fight Club. Absolutely. And thank you, David Fincher, for being our latest director's corner. Yeah. He never wrote anything, ever. Well... Did you know that? You're a good director. <laughs>
1: That's all you need to be. We forgive you. It's okay.
0: No worries. Well, uh, Jake, what is kicking off new in cinemas this week? It's a busy week, Zeke. It is a busy week. It's
1: a lot going on. Speaking of Brad Pitt, Ad Astra. I want to see this. coming out next
0: week. Apparently it's shot in Black Magic. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you know which one? Just a... I'm assuming the Ursa, like the Mini Pro X. That would be very interesting. I haven't... F- I know... It's been shot on a Blackmagic, because on the Blackmagic website, they they put all their films up that have been shot on their cameras. Oh, cool. cool. And Ad Astra is on there. So Should we
1: point out that we are using a Blackmagic yeah, yeah. cursor a, I'm to a, shoot our short film right now?
0: I'm also owner Blackmagic. I'm a team Blackmagic kind of guy.
1: <laughs> You're not a... Sorry, Red. ...company shrill. I'm not... A, no,
0: but cool. I, I like Australian companies, so...
1: Fair play. Fair play, Australian. Australian. The famous Dora and the Lost City of Gold, coming yeah. out next week. And I keep in mind, I believe these are Australian releases. So I don't know if like they're out already in other regions or whatever. I'm pretty sure this is an Australian only mm-hmm. uh resource that I'm using right now. Ugly dolls, which looks a little weird. It's like the it's like this cartoony. Looks like
0: trash oh. in the words of Jack Bet. It looks <laughs> trash. It's a bunch of rappers or something. Oh, it's really? a bunch it's literally just singers. But they're like
1: little cartoon people.
0: Yeah. But they're yeah. just singing. they're voiced by singers. Yeah. Maybe
1: a four year old will like it. It know. looks
0: like the emoji movie of this year. Rambo
1: Last Blood.
0: Got that song that everyone, everyone's everyone been talking about, the one with the Hotown Road song. Are you
1: serious? That's what it's from?
0: Oh, I, I mean, know. I know it's That's like. That's the one they're playing in the trailer.
1: Oh, my God. Talk about jumping on the bandwagon. <laughs> Jeez. Um, one that I'm personally very excited about Good Boys. It's finally so coming out. So, finally
0: come out, even though we felt like it's taken two years to get here. Yeah, pretty much. I am so keen on I am this show, so like... do not care for <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> That's fair enough. And uh, Abominable comes out, which is that Abominable That's... Snowman cartoon thing.
0: There was like big... Wasn't there a small foot that came out? It was about a Yeti's?
1: Yeah, I guess so. I guess they're the same film.
0: Why, they... <laughs> Why... Why do they always make similar things around the same time? It's so weird. You know Frozen 2's coming out? It's... Weird. Yeah
1: man later this year I guess. Weird. I didn't care for that. I think did I fall asleep during the first Frozen?
0: I watched I didn't even watch it.
1: I watched see here's the thing. I watched it after long after the hype. I think I was I was dating I was dating someone like we just started freshly mm-hmm. dating and then she forced me to watch Frozen so we were like lying in bed watching it and I love that she fell asleep long before I fell asleep mm. and this was like her favorite movie as well. And she just dropped 10
0: <laughs> during the movie.
1: Well, you just had to let
0: it go, Jake.
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I did it, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> this was high school, guys. Relax.
0: Brutal. <laughs> anyway, I mean, we got to move on to the, what we're watching next week, Jake. So what are we watching next week? Fair enough. So this
1: is uh, my pick for the week. and we your pick? Are, we're going with another Australian film, mm. which uh, now that I think about it, we haven't done a lot of them as like our main film of the week.
0: No. Is this the first Australian film?
1: I hope not. That would be embarrassing. Took 36 episodes. I know. Oh, whoop. my gosh. Well, we are taking off with Jennifer Kent's latest uh, horrific-looking film in all the best ways, I would say, The Nightingale.
0: Cry my film. Get me to the soldiers that came by this morning.
1: It's too dangerous. Up north, they kill us. You sure you want to follow him? Claire, a young Irish convict, chases a British officer through a rugged Tasmanian wilderness and is bent on revenge for a terrible act of violence the man committed against her family.
0: On the way, she enlists the services of an Aboriginal tracker, Billy, who is marked by trauma from his own violent-filled past.
1: Now, I've heard many things about this film. Yes. Including that up to 30 plus people walked out of premiere screenings. And one of which yelled out, there has already been two rape scenes. I'm out. Wow. So very harsh criticism on that front, but it's also been getting very positive. Criticism yeah, It's
0: got 86% currently sitting on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's, uh, that sounds like a film. <laughs> it sounds very intense. Now I'm going to walk out with some serious guilt. I already know it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Had some white guilt going for you. Yeah. When I first read Claire Irish, I was like, "Is this the sequel to Once?"
0: Not gonna lie, I'm legitimately <laughs> excited to have a film set in, in like Tasmania. Right. That's pretty cool.
1: And like, period Tasmania as well. Yeah. That's Heck cool. yeah. Go Tassie. Go Tassie. It yeah, better boys. have been
0: shot in Tasmania.
1: I'm sure it was. I mean, I, here's the thing. So Jennifer Kent's previous film featured debut. The Babadook, which we have very differing opinions on it. Bleah. I love Babadook. You... That, well, there you go. That was, <laughs> that was your um, thoughts on that. But uh, I think this is a, looks to be a wildly different type
0: of film. Uh, yeah, I like the trailer. We watched the trailer before this.
1: Yeah, that was the only time the trailer you just heard a snippet of. We watched the proper trailer today, and that was the first time I've seen anything of it, and I'm like, ooh, this looks
0: good. Well, no worries. Thank you for joining us for the Cinema Side Show podcast. I was Zeke. And
1: I was the famous spectacular Jake
0: and we'll catch you (laughs) next week (laughs) I've forgotten what the film is called it is called (laughs) The Nightingale